around the NFL podcast is not a hit it and quit it guest. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. Come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Greg Rosenthal is with me. That's nice. But also joining us with Mark Sessler on vacation. A dear friend of ours, Cynthia Freeland. Welcome back to the ATN podcast, my dear. Well, you know, thanks for having me. It's only taken, I don't know, two years. Thanks. I'm what? sure I'm a real Yay. dear friend. It's been like Yay. a billion years. <laughs> Wait a second. You see, you last time we had you on, you went with that same old thing. You said, oh, it took so long to have us on. Now you get the second invite, which is always the seal of approval. You're not a hit love. it and quit it guest. Yeah, you're not a hit it and quit it guest. And you're still going to bury us here in the biggest of all spots at the top of the show. Listen, the top of the show, there's two things that everyone needs to know. Number one. Dan Hansis has a savage tan. That's the only way to describe it. It's savage, number one. And number two, I wasn't working today, but of course I'll work. Anytime you guys call, I, I pick up the phone, I pick up the, the Zoom, I pick up the StreamYard link, you know, anything for you guys. No, that's very nice of you. And you know what? Since you mentioned that, I do have a savage tan. It's my, not my Irish side. The no, side. It's, it's definitely not your Irish side. And I want to do a little roll call. Like, where are we right now? Ricky, you could kill that music anytime you want. Um, where is everyone? Right now, I am on the Jersey Shore I'm in my parents' bedroom. <laughs> it's a heat wave here on the in the Northeast. Um, where all hot. the magic happens. <laughs> and stop it. And um, <laughs> that's where I am until tomorrow when I head back to L.A. Where are you, Greg? I'm back uh, home in Santa Monica. I was on the East Coast, Cape Cod, and then um, uh, at my parents' place at the vineyard for nine days or 11 days, but just returned this week. So I, I mean, I don't feel quite ready for it yet. Like just jumping back in. We've got our network show coming up and this is like an ease into it week. We're doing one right. show. And where's your tan, by the way? Not Savage. Uh, it's like a little bit, but this this lighting in this room is is rough as always. I mean, if you put the light on real bright, it's just, Mm. it's, you're always the same color. It's perfect. Here's another, by the way, as I throw it to Cynthia, when you're staying with your parents, right now it's just me and my two parents. You know how they're really bad with cell phones? Like they just leave them around in other rooms because they treat them as landlines. My mom's phone's ringing. So let me tee you up, (laughs) Cynthia. Uh, Where are you right now? I'm in uh, Flathead Lake. So Lakeside, Montana. So just go like almost to Canada and like a little bit down. So right by, it's in big sky country. So there's a very large sky here, also a very large lake, Flathead Lake. I was telling you guys before. Uh, they'll tell you around here it's the largest freshwater lake east or west of the Mississippi in the continental United States. You know, wow, a lot of caveats. Mm-hmm. It's like the first time to do right? this. And then, uh, do you have like a history there, family there? Is there a reason, or you just go to Montana? Um, so I ran a marathon near Missoula like two or three um, years ago, and it was marathon. really, really great. Yeah, these stupid marathon goals. It's ridiculous. Um, and uh, and it was always really beautiful. And this is kind of a hidden gem. Like, it's not super expensive. Still got good food and everything that you want to do. And the lake is really, really beautiful and not too cold because I was in Duluth, Minnesota, and I jumped in that lake. And Lake Superior is the coldest thing that could ever exist. It was it was insane. Um. Because my earpiece was out. Did you mention the lake bit that you had? Yes, I did. Oh, don't worry. I got my lake. I got my lake. A lot of lake content. 
That was, that was really good. <laughs> a lot well, of like I said, The audience needs to know that, you know, keep they that do. in the chamber. All right. So Cynthia's here and it's awesome. Cynthia, by the way, she is like the skeleton key for the ATN podcast, non-podcast stuff, because Cynthia has a big role in the Power Rankings TV program. She has a big role on the Pick'em TV program that uh, Greg does with Cynthia and Hawk. Uh, and we're all big, big fans of her. And listen, she's a huge hit in the analytical uh, community. She Me has, too. she has a machine. Uh, a she's giant. big on the broadcast. She does a lot with the broads. Don't forget Love that. The broads. Well, okay, that too. Uh, she has a giant machine, like a giant computer, a supercomputer. She keeps in her in her boudoir, I believe. It's actually here in Montana with me. Also, <laughs> see, I, I never leave home without when, it. When I hear about your computation machine. I picture like those supercomputers that Russia built in during the Cold War, where it takes up like half of an airport hangar. But now you're telling me you can actually pack your supercomputer and bring it with you anywhere in America. So listen, if you thought that the uh, the audience needed to know about lakes, here's what you need to know about how this works. When you write software, like you don't, the computer can be anywhere. It's like it goes to like a cloud and then it comes back down. Like this thing's like it's like it's everywhere and, and nowhere at the same time. It's pretty great. No, I'm with Dan. The bigger the computer, the bigger the information yes. inside of it. It's Perfect. A brain, it's huge. You know, like yeah, I'm I gonna move it up here to Montana. You're gonna get a call from your agent right after this podcast because I'm sure your agent listens to everything and watches everything you do, and and your agent's agent. gonna say. Yeah. Number one mistake of being a, a giant in the analytics community: never tell them you don't have a supercomputer Ooh. because it's more impressive to have it. No, the right, hardware, just, not software, hardware. I, but I also have a supercomputer because uh, that's the way it works. It's just they make them smaller these days because you know. Technology. Yeah, I reject that. That's She's breaking another rule of the analytics community. Never do a program with someone else from the analytics community who can Ooh. challenge you. And we have uh, Sam Munson from PFF coming up later. Oh, so how exciting great. is that? Are Please you excited for that? Are one, you... I'm really excited. I have yeah. one question for Sam, though. Because when he does these, and I love the voiceover, he does this like really cool graphic video that I watch every week. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, for it, it describes something for a matchup of the week, whatever. But he suppresses his accent in it, and I don't get it. So yeah, I need him to like. I need. I have so many questions because I love the accent. Work it. Right. Use it. Well, Women love that. Save what are you it. talking Save about? It. He's going to be Bring on the, the show. Demographic. In just a little bit, and I think that's fascinating. And we're going to have to get into that. Um, but before we do, I just want to um, touch base about um, as some of you may have heard, if you follow the machinations of our business um, two weeks ago, NFL media announced a wave of layoffs across the company. Uh, sadly, uh, our little world, um, the podcast world and the editorial group were not spared. It was a sad, sad week, a couple weeks back. And a lot of us are either on vacation or just kind of taking some time out and it kind of jolted us back uh, to reality. And I, I just thought, and Greg, I know you, and Erica uh, and Cynthia perhaps feel the same way that it's that we should take a little time just to share um, and acknowledge and say thank you to some people who are very important, uh, instrumental, really, to the growth of this show, uh, to our careers behind the scenes. And we're just nice people to work with, starting with Ryan Bartlett, who's a rock behind the scenes, uh, working arm in arm, arm with Ricky on a variety of projects um, in the digital realm just a great guy 
passionate KC Chiefs fan. And um, we remember the Get Bartlett to Miami. So he got to see the Chiefs Super Bowl in 2020. Uh, second, John Marvel, who was our boss on the writing side of things and, you know, a real glue guy in the newsroom, a huge Tom Petty fan, a guy with more experience in news than all of us combined and a supporter of our show and us as individuals and um, just a fun guy uh, to work with and get a drink at the Cozy, which I want to do with him when I get back to L.A. Finally, Mark Brady, who was the guy uh, pulling the strings of the podcast division, he was our train conductor, the man who always was passionate about the job. He put in endless hours, vital to the success of our show. And we've grown so much as a podcast since 2013 when we started. Mark was key to that. And he was also relentless in his push to get us to London in 2018 and 2019. And this is just a, a measure of the man to me that when I had a, a nice conversation with him last week, just kind of talking about everything and uh, the phone call near the end, he's like, Here, here's where I was and trying to get you guys to London uh, this fall. You should have this information and, and kind of work with the bosses. Like, who does that um, after uh, what happened? So in short, it sucks. Uh, we don't work with these people anymore. It's part of the business. This is how it all works, unfortunately, sadly. Uh, but just a thank you to them for everything that they did. And we hope to see them all down the line. Yeah, we had great times with, with Ryan. I'm so glad, you know, Bartlett got to see the Chiefs. Um win the Super Bowl up close. It's a memory I know we'll, we'll all, you know, remember forever. And, and Marvel was so instrumental helping um, execute how the message of Chris's passing, you know, got delivered to NFL Network and was a, a rock through that Super Bowl weekend and helping us uh, among among a lot of other things, working closely with them. And, and Mark Brady, especially, to me has such a special place in the show. We always do- joke about the shadowy league figures. And in theory, Mark Brady was like, you know, what, what was one of them? You know, he was the head of the podcast. Well, it was Mark and Marvel, really. The, you yeah. Know, when we talked about it, almost always. It was well, I don't guys. know. I can think of some truly shady characters that have left the company since. It, well, those are the nefarious uh, versions. Yeah, yeah. Of, these were more of the guys that we, we liked. Yeah. But they were part of the machine as well. But, but Mark was our biggest supporter. I mean, it it he was our supporter in terms of believing in what we did from day one more than anyone. It's just a fact yep. that even when we were being a pain and you know being a pain to him early on, sometimes I remember Wes and him going at it. We all we all had our things. He believed in us and supported us behind the scenes, and when we weren't around, too, two other people tirelessly like he always believed in us he always tried to make the case of uh how important we were at the company in a way frankly that that no one else at this entire company did and so it's really sad he's just a great man and and a a dad and and he knows we love him and a huge supporter i know he was a big uh big part of your career too erica I mean, huge. We, you know, we were very, very close and he's the reason that I am at the NFL. And there are many times that I was going to leave and he was like, you're not leaving. Like, this is what we're going to do. Um, and, and talk about fighting for someone. I mean, just to have someone to have, and I've worked for a lot, a lot of people and there's a lot, a lot of, of ass out there. And he is not one of them. Like there will be times where it's like, you know, he just just a sweet guy to his entire 
core and we we talked you know we talk a lot still um but he told me on the phone you know started the whole phone call was saying how thankful he was that I was referred to him by someone he's like I'm so thankful by this person that recommended me to you like recommended you to me and mm. like you are instrumental and you deserve everything that you've worked. and I'm like what why are you saying this stuff to me right now like this it's he, he is and Ryan did so much for the podcast team as well. And uh, it's, it's really, really, really sucks. It sucks. It's, it's what's, what's terrible. And this, you know, losing friends at, at the office like this, it stinks. And then you look at how much has changed for, for us as a podcast in the last, you know, 15 months or something, obviously we lost Wes and now a lot of these very important people all around the show. So it feels a little bit, and with all, some un uncertainty about the media group right now, this feels a lot like the great unknown uh, era of the podcast as we uh, edge toward our ninth season. But, uh, you know, we're very excited about what's to come on the show, uh, but it's also very important to talk about this uh, because these are the people that help make the show what it is if you're a fan of what we do. Really quick before you move on, one, in true NFL Network style, I didn't know Ryan was one of the people. I didn't mm. ask. I didn't go around asking who's gone. Um, and I will say the thing that I love about all three of these men that you haven't brought up yet, in addition to being super supportive and being very helpful and instrumental in all of our careers, I loved how good of dads they are. You you could never be around. Mm. I mean, Marvel, I, Marvel's son is a baseball player. And if you've been around for five minutes, you you feel the like glow of this dad who's just like so happy and so proud of his son. And it's so sweet. And the same thing with Mark, like his kids were the world his, and his wife, the whole thing, like you're just around. I mean, Erica and I actually were in Boston. We went to a Sloan conference three Sloans ago and we did a, a, the podcast that I was doing. And he was so great about making it fun and a team trip and really just pushing hard for that too. So when you talk about it, I mean, we even went on a tour of Har Harvard because like his wife had gone there and he was just so excited to see it because his family meant everything to him. And it's the same thing for Bartlett as well. Like his, I mean, these people are just great human beings. And I will say as an alum of ESPN, I've never met people that like, like go fast forward 18 months down the road. They'll all be in better places because they're all hard workers. They're all good people. And they're all really good at what they do. So they're going to land in a better spot. Almost every single person that I've like ever encountered that's gone through something like this. This is not, it's not personal. It's not anything to do with, it's literally like changing business models, all these different things that are going on with our business. We're trying to partner. There's a lot of strategy things going on. So they're going to all be in great spot and then they can go hire us when we need jobs again. So they're going to be, they're going to be okay, but they're great dads. And I, I want to point that out. We might, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might. I mean, this is how this industry works. Like, yeah, just, you know, for sure. That was one of my favorite uh, moments in uh, newsroom history because my, as a kid, I always wanted to be a baseball player. And um, I still, if, we, if I had to pick one career in a dream scenario, it would be like playing 17 years in major league baseball. I just feel like that would be the greatest life. So I've always had such um, awe uh, and um, looked at people that are in professional baseball and James Marvel is John's son, who's in the pirates organization in Pittsburgh. And when he got called up to the majors in September, 2019 it coincided it just happened to fall on a sunday of week one so we were all in the newsroom and john uh was in the newsroom was at the game uh in uh, pittsburgh uh and he was on tv and, the, and they, i think they interviewed him and um, <laughs> and and james pitched well that day um he uh, he uh threw five or six innings and and pitched well and it was just like such a cool moment to be part of that and following james's career and hope to see him back in the big league soon but uh mm -hmm. 
I thought you were going to say that one of the best moments in the newsroom with Marvel was when um, he broke up uh, another reporter, like wanting to like (laughs) punch me in the face. It's like everyone out of here. Okay, you're coming with me, and he like took. That was all right. uh, That was actually the best moment ever. (laughs) We'll tell you about it afterwards, Cynthia. We've referred to it a handful of times on this show, but uh, we'll keep. I just didn't know all the details on this. Yeah. Yeah, All right. Anyway. We'll see you guys down the line. Uh, Let's get to the news. He's an NBA owner, a self-taught guitarist, and has guest starred in both The Office and Game of Thrones. Mm. He's unhappy with his boss and has no options. Who is Aaron Rodgers? Ding, ding. That is correct. Well done. That's a projection, Tom. I never said I'm unhappy with my boss. You know, Tom Brady, I'm liking this guy more and more, Greg. It took about 20 years, uh, but that was in some interview ahead of that dopey golf match uh, they were all involved in um, that Aaron Rodgers' team won, I believe. Uh, Cynthia's a big golfer. Maybe she can give us more uh, information on that. But, uh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, who I guess is still in limbo, is NFL future. Tom Brady having some fun at the reigning MVP's expense. Cynthia? Why was his background blurred? What is Aaron Rodgers hiding? Like his money bags? Like what? what's going on with that? Why is it blurred? Brady is the guy who's not really very funny, but he found one joke that Mm -hmm. everyone loves. And so he just keeps hammering this one joke. And that's the way to do it. I mean, that is the way to do it. It's like it's the first time anyone's like, hey, Brady's got some pretty good zingers. And so he just keeps going back and back uh, on this. Rogers. You better believe if I ever said something funny, I would keep replaying it. I'm just not funny. So if I kept doing, I would just keep going to it. That's one of that's one of your long running. Um bits i guess that's a bit you just say you're not a a funny person i'm not (laughs) i'm truly not and i don't try and i i'm never going to like which is makes you an outlier because the great dave damashek uh is known to say the problem is that everyone thinks they're funny um deep down and that leads to a lot of problems when they try to share a sense of humor that maybe actually isn't as strong as they may believe it uh to be but cynthia no you know what i think with brady by the way and I think when you win six Super Bowls and three MVPs and you're generally recognized as the greatest football player in the history of this country, um, you realize that you're like, oh, wait, I'm in the Sinatra zone. And like Frank Sinatra could say or do anything and nobody could get mad because he was Frank Sinatra. Like Aaron Rodgers is basically that in the sports realm. So he's the only guy that can give Aaron Rodgers shit and know mm. that Aaron Rodgers has to take it because Aaron Rodgers might be Aaron Rodgers, but he's not Tom Brady. No, it's all good he, fun, but you you know you can mess with people. And Aaron Rodgers is a sensitive sort. He's like another member of the Rat Pack, but uh, Brady Sinatra. Aaron Rodgers still Sammy Davis. So ultimately, oh, that's actually pretty good. Uh, who's Dean Martin? Would that be Peyton Manning? <laughs> sure. Who's the other guy? Who's the other guy that nobody? Uh, uh, Joey. Uh, who's the last guy in the Rat Pack? This is where this is where we need Wes. We need Wes. <laughs> we need a Google. We need the Google machine. All right, let's get to the news. All right, let's get going here, starting. Uh, well, so we this is the first time we've done a show, Cynthia, um, in, I guess, almost two weeks. Uh, Pure podcast we, in two weeks, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a record for our show. So we're just going to catch on to what we missed, um, and we'll start with the news that went down uh, late last month. The NFL is fined the Washington football team $10 million as a result of the league's investigation into the team's workplace culture 
that money will eventually be used, we're told, to support organizations committed to character education, anti-bullying, healthy relationships, and related topics, the league said. And also Tanya Snyder. Is it Tanya or Tanya? I don't know. I never know what that was named the team's co-CEO this week and will take over the day-to-day duties and represent the team at league functions for what's been deemed the next several months. So that's pretty open-ended. Her husband, of course, is Dan Snyder, and he will put his focus on, we're told, new stadium plans and other matters, the NFL said. Uh, Greg, you're uh, kind of big picture on how this has played out. The You know, the fact that it came out right before the July 4th weekend, you know, played into the stereotype the idea that it was a news dump because it it did feel that way. This is one of the worst chapters in the last couple of decades uh, of a team quote, you know, scandal, I guess, for lack of a better word that, that there's been, you know, it's funny to think of the attention that like deflate gate got just, just media wise. I'm not blaming the league totally on that either um, compared to this. And then it, you know, was kind of, Shuffled at this time of year where there's not a lot of people paying attention. And I, and I thought m- almost all the reactions were understandable because on one hand, you know, the, the NFL sometimes feels almost powerless compared to the owners who have all this money and are ultimately the commissioner's boss. And, and it's pretty rare. It's unprecedented essentially to basically remove an owner, even if it's, not fully in practice. If even if there's, you know, it's his wife now running the team, it's a pretty big message to be sent that like, they're essentially removing him from his duties as an owner, his day-to-day duties and how publicly like embarrassing that is and everything that, that goes along with it. And the money is significant and it's something on the other hand, I totally understand all of the points that have been made about like the lack of clarity of what they actually did in this, report there was very few specifics and i thought sally jenkins's point in the washington post about like okay let's just stick the woman let's stick the wife to clean up the husband's mess was was well was well said too so on one hand i do think it's kind of unprecedented but it also uh you know in terms of the level of money and 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 everything that they did to kind of put a spotlight on snyder on the other hand it did show like the lack of power because in theory, if everything they're saying was true and they had the power to change owners, this would be the spot, right? And they mm-hmm. can't go that they couldn't go that far. They, yeah. they couldn't go that far. And so I, I kind of get it on both sides, but it, it's unlike any other story I've ever seen in the NFL, that's for sure. The team had been under the independent investigation since July 2020, stemming from a number of sexual harassment allegations by previous employees over a 15 year period. Uh, detailed by the Washington Post last summer, and an attorney, Beth Wilkinson, uh, led the investigation, interviewing more than 150 people, mostly current or former employees of the organization, all granted anonymity. It's a tough one to get out. You're rolling your eyes, Cynthia, as a woman who's worked at the NFL for a while. Well, um, I love What do you feel comfortable saying? Um, I love Ron Rivera. I think he is an amazing man, human, and I'm really, I loved how he went about his cancer situation. I like Jason Wright a lot. He, he and I share, he started at, he went to the University of Chicago booth, um, the booth 
I started business school there. It's a long story. We'll we talk about that another time. But we we share kind of some roots there. There's a lot of good people that work there presently. I don't know how I would handle this because I don't know any of the truth. But I do know that a great organization in LA, if you want to donate to one, it's called Peace Over Violence. So that's kind of my thoughts. Well said. All right. Moving on. Uh, I feel like the start of the NFL season is the premiere of Hard Knocks. Uh, in the second week of August, and here it comes once again, and it will be the Dallas Cowboys uh, who will be featured on the program. They are the first team to be featured for a third time. Hard Knocks premiered 20 years ago, but they profiled the then-defending champion Baltimore Ravens. A lot of Todd Heap pop that season. A lot of Brian Billick lounging in a hammock in a DGAF mode, as I recall. Tony Saragusa, but that was then. This is now five episode season debuts August 10th at 10 p.m. The old Zeuser, as he's been doing for roughly 400 years now, will be leading the episode recaps on NFL.com. So stay tuned on that. Uh, And the Cowboys 2002 and 2008 were involved, and now 2021. And I, Cynthia, um, you know, when the, you know, they throw an assignment at you right after the Super Bowl to keep the website alive, uh, they asked me to write a hard knocks preview laying out the teams that could be picked. The Cowboys were amongst them that could be, quote unquote, mandatory uh, inclusion because they uh, checked three certain boxes that would leave them open to being on the show, even if they didn't want to be. I don't believe that, especially last year after they had the Pittsburgh Steelers and they did not pick them. But anyway, it's beside the point. The Cowboys were selected and um, Jared Jones and company. To me, I wrote back in February, they were the best choice of the five teams that could be compelled to be on the show. Uh, And there'll be plenty of meat on the bone. And uh, people like to complain about hard knocks. Like people like to complain about Saturday Night Live, how it used to be better. And it's derivative at this point and all that. But you know what? People still watch it and you will be watching it as well. Many of you listening right now. I'm a big fan. I think this is a great choice. First of all, last season was, I mean, with COVID and everything, was super confusing with two teams, like the jump cuts between the two. If you didn't kind of know what the players looked like, if you hadn't been as familiar as we are, like it's, it was harder to follow. So I'm glad to, but that was COVID's fault. It wasn't Hard Knocks' fault. I think they do a brilliant job. It's a masterful show. I always like it. I always like Saturday Night Live too, so we're good on that. But I also think that the thing I'm most looking forward to, will they please, do you think that they're listening to this right now? Can they please like, take an inventory of everything coach eats. I just feel like he's that guy who like gets the entire picnic table and he's like a little bit of this, 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 a little bit of this. Like I just, I have to know what Mike McCarthy eats. Mike McCarthy dietary habits. I like that. It's gotta be like amazing. It's gotta be amazing. Like that's the sub story right there. Like there's gotta be a lot. lot Well, I mean, they had Rex on and we didn't get that with Rex, although he iconic, let's go get a goddamn snack, but we didn't see Rex eating a lot, but maybe we're overdue. Uh, for a um, food-focused hard knocks, they they the the Joneses usually give a lot of access, which I like. I feel like they're not gonna be like pressing on the edits. Like when they did all or nothing, that was the best all or nothing season 100%. because they because they like allowed themselves to look a little vulnerable at at times mm-hmm. and allowed mm-hmm. the coverage to be better. So I, I'm all for it. Anyway, hard knocks back in August. Can't wait. And by the way, the funny thing about hard knocks, and like I said, I write the recaps. Everyone watches the first episode and it's all anyone's talking about. And then I start to feel like I'm fading into like a, 
a, a solitary chamber as the weeks get along and we get closer to real football. But those first couple episodes especially are always uh, so fun because everyone's watching and talking about it. And everybody, I can tell you, everybody around the league, uh, in the buildings, the coaches, GMs, they all watch it too. It's, it's fun to see what's going on behind the mm-hmm. scenes um, with colleagues. All right. Uh, in other news, Nikhil Harry has been a huge disappointment for the New England Patriots. Um, a number 32 overall pick, a wide receiver um, who has not been able to get his career off the ground. And after just two years with the team, he has requested a trade. Greg, when we went through, um, is it roster reset? I think it is. What's your branding on it? Projected starters. starters. Damn it. I knew it was one of the lists. (laughs) Projected starters. I kind of specifically targeted Harry when I was looking at your depth chart is what happens with him as a first round pick. Um, it's starting to look increasingly possible that he is going to be one of those rare guys that doesn't get a third year with the team that drafted him in the first round. Yeah, it's a little weird because after Nelson Aguilar, I'm not sure anything's really set, you know, in their receiver group, but he he's not feeling the vibe. So it's almost like he's trying to beat the Patriots to the punch, doesn't want the the shame of getting traded for a late seventh round pick or whatever it would be. I'm, they're not going to get much. They're not going to get much more for him. I don't think this don't was like a, a, a nice idea. little, a nice little bit of NFL news to just sprinkle into the week. I, my focus has been mostly on Wimbledon, Dan. I don't know if you know, I'm doing a, another side podcast now inspired, <laughs> inspired by Mark Sessler just, uh, and you for a long time saying that eventually, or Mark saying, I'm going to leave someday to do a <laughs> courts of thunder blog. And now I'm actually doing courts of thunder. It's a podcast, Perfect. not a blog. But, you know. Wait, is it called Courts of Thunder? Actually, I called it Courts of Thunder. Why not? That's for, great. Just oh, that's for, great. My, for my own enjoyment. Um, it's Ooh. only during the Grand Slam, so it'll be over, you know, until U.S. Open uh, in a week. But yeah, me and Glenn I'm I'm legitimately curious, and you're hyper knowledgeable in the realm of tennis. So I'm sure there's a lot of good good talk in there, and you do it with a, a co-host, right? Yeah, with Glenn Clark, um, who's a Baltimore. Oh, we know Glenn. Host. He's been on yeah. the show before. Yeah, um, Ravens guy. Um, do you are you finding it's connecting with an audience so far? I have no idea. You know, that's why I'm trying to let them know. Come, come, subscribe. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm hearing. Yeah, you know, the people that have been listening to it, they like it. I mean, Good. I I know it's a niche audience here. Ten, you know, you're not slicing the biggest pie uh, with tennis, which is too bad. That's why I want to do it. It's just you know, it's like it's such a great game. It's such a great. Like next year when you redo it when you bring it back then yeah. you need to partner with like you know amazon or one of these things and then they can send me food so i can listen to it oh, and okay. eat like i'm there right because there's special food there right like when you go to wimbledon you're what are you supposed to eat it's like strawberries fruit. and cream you strawberries could, you and cream. get that ready to my house. for uh, breakfast at wimbledon this weekend yeah you I, could get that i ready. must be hungry all i'm talking about is food right now but uh, but next year have amazon deliver to me to my door you can you know, there's there's your business idea. Then they can I think getting me paid is is almost impossible with this endeavor. So getting free food for you seems like well, another free. And I, I pay for it. I, I really doubt that'll ever happen. Did yeah. you have to push we'll courts under through Congress, or was Glenn like, all right, whatever, dude, let's just start the episode? Like, was he on? <laughs> I know because I had a better. Under? I had a better. Kind of an name insane name of a podcast. It. I love. Yeah, it, it is. It, but I have and, context. Uh, yeah, I and I had a better name initially called Only Slams, like kind of like OnlyFans, but we're only doing it during the slams. It, oh. That was better, and yet um, I don't know. I just courts of no thunder. courts of thunder. That was the right move. Uh, I, I didn't even know what that was till this summer. I watched a lot of episodes of Catfish. That's what I learned when OnlyFans was. So you know, learning yeah. everything this summer. Look at you. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> in other news, offensive line news, the NFL, uh, excuse me, uh, NFL football team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, now that um, have released uh, right guard David DeCastro. This was pretty stunning when it happened a couple weeks ago. Mike Garofolo reported. Then we found out that he's dealing with all sorts of uh, issues uh, with his ankle, and it could lead to the end of his NFL career. Um, so the Steelers, with a lot of turnover on their offensive line and a Stone Age pony, as Mark Sessler puts it, behind center in Ben Roethlisberger, a huge roll of the dice uh, on that offense in a lot of ways. And in other news, uh, my New York Jets continue, in my opinion, and the opinion of many others, to get better. Uh, they signed Morgan Moses, the right tackle, to a one-year $3.6 million contract. Um, he will compete and most likely win the job at right tackle, um, which would kick George Fant into a swing tackle type role, which might be a better fit for him. And also with uh, as great as Mackay Becton was as a rookie, he had tr- trouble staying on the field. So it gives you some much needed depth. I just really like um, this brain trust with Salah and Joe Douglas. And this was a move that made a lot of sense. And the Jets have a proven starter. Um, Moses was a, a good, dependable guy in Washington for several years. Yeah, I mean, I think anything to address the Jets O-line is smart. I think if you're if I'm a Jets fan this season, I'm thinking, okay, let's just make it look better and better. And if I'm going two years out, then you can start to talk about things like, you know, late January football. Like, you know, not because obviously the season's been pushed out. So right. now everyone's playing January football. But you know, it's it, it's just uh it's it's one of those things where just be patient. Jets fans aren't known for their patience, but this is a situation if the where the offense is good, that's all that matters. To me, it's it's like because your Zach secondary Wilson is not good. good. Yeah, your does secondary does is Zach not good. Wilson look good? This was the move where it sort of got me yep. over the hump of being like, wow, the Jets could be a pretty fun offense if Wilson can play the guitar, as Dan would say. I mean, they they really did. This was this is one of those moves. Like if Morgan Moses was a free agent coming into March, he probably would have gotten like four years, 50 million or something from some team, not saying he would have been worth all that, but he probably would have, but because this all happened late, like, and everyone would be like, Oh, that's one of the big signings of the off season. Number 33 on the top 100 Morgan Moses goes to, <laughs> you know, the jets, but now it's just like kind of buried in, in June. They, they it's look, great. they should be eminently watchable on offense. I really, I, I so. am actually and I a discount. It, he's, he's and they'll not be fun, overpaid. like the scheme, yeah. the players, everything about it. I want, I want to watch them more than I have for a while. Hinges. It all hinges. It all hinges on Zach Wilson, and I'm, tr- I'm, I refuse to get too excited because the Sam Darnold experience was pretty hurtful, and we know there were a lot of factors that went into his struggles. But the reports on Wilson are very good out of camp from beat reporters. I trust that he just looks like he's going to be able to handle this and maybe even thrive in a, a, a an offense that is modern and uh, suited to his skill set with better players around him. Uh, I I'm, I want to watch. I want to look forward to watching the Jets again. It's been year, a couple of years now um, where I haven't even been excited about watching them, and I feel like this could be a turning point. But I'm trying to keep things. Under Kansas. control here, Cynthia. Okay, yeah. so Greg and I on our show where we have to pick the winner of every game, and yes. it's it's a lot of fun. And pick I them. think because Is that yeah, game back? day view, game it's day game view. view, yeah, game um, day view. Used to be called pick up. Greg has so many we, projects. I struggle to keep. Track. We hope so, it's coming back. Listen, Greg, I mean, I, we don't I know, is, but, but I think in honor of that, whether or not it comes back, in honor of that. I think right now, since week one is Sam Darnold versus your Jets, mm-hmm. I think that the we, that me and Greg should be on the Panther side, and you should be on the Jets side, and it should be for like you know 
some <laughs> snacks or food because I can't stop talking about food. Mm, like something, no. you know, go have a beer somewhere and we'll be the Panthers and you be the Jets. It, it'll be fun. And we, all right, I'm certainly down with that. Is Greg, because yeah. Greg is somebody. I don't who, even know if I want that. You're sticking me say. with Darnold. I'm a pretty anti-Darnold. Like I, my anti-Darnold uh, take is going to travel with me to Carolina. So I'm not too high on these Panthers. I'll do a sandwich with you on this, Cynthia. Great. Sandwich all right, good. Week one. <laughs> Uh, all right. And uh, finally in the news, um, rest in peace, supplemental draft. It won't okay. be held this year. And I actually reached out to handsome Hank, Henry Hodgson, who for multiple years on our website, NFL.com, um, offered up his uh, <laughs> supplemental draft uh, mock draft, which was always one of my favorite pieces of content on our fair website. I asked for him to uh, give me a statement to read. Um, so but uh, what he sent back to me, unfortunately, uh, is not something that would keep him employed. So I'll just say that he's disappointed. And uh, <laughs> is this the end of the supplemental draft? I don't know. I didn't read the story very closely and forgot to check it out before we started. I just know it's not happening. It's heartbreaking. Two straight years, no supplemental draft. Just the, the amount of draft prep that goes into it um for me for all the people who love it uh like henry you know just mm -hmm. the excitement it brings it's like ooh, wow wimbledon and nba finals no this is supplemental draft season and uh we've missed it two straight years we need to rebrand it it just needs a, it just needs a rebranding supplemental draft sounds awful like some terrible iron pill you have to eat with a banana or something <laughs> in the morning like you need to re you need to think of a clever name for it if it, if it were called courts of thunder people would they wouldn't get rid of it you just need to rebrand right. it. All right, let me get Greg's projects fit before we bring Sam uh, all set. Before we bring Sam Bonson on, he has the Around the NFL podcast. He has the debrief. He has the RJ. Well, the debrief is a yeah a written piece on Monday. You got RJVP, right? Yep, love That's that podcast with Anthony Jeselnik. You have the Jeselnik or the Rosenthal and Jeselnik project, which was the previous iteration. Well, that was the, at the NFL. Vanity yeah, the, now he's got the first name. You yeah. have Courts of Thunder now. You have, um, what am I missing? Uh, your game day pick show, game day view, game day yeah. view, yeah. Um, anything else? Non Emmy nominated, just so we're clear. Hawk, you have some that. national radio spots. I mean, That's is this true. we have an Emmy nominated host of that show? I mean, I don't mm -hmm. know if it was nominated for his work on our show, but Hawk nope. was nominated for an Emmy, doesn't matter, and he is on our show. So, Do you yep. guys get a little bit annoyed when in our newsroom everyone has an Emmy. Except for us, yeah. Or maybe you have one, Cynthia. I don't know. I don't like, have. What an do Emmy. we have to do to get like, an Emmy? Seriously, I want an Emmy. Maybe make a better actually, TV show, Greg. That would help us. Probably. Actually, <laughs> I think I do have one. But when I on the other side, the business development side, like I worked at the ABC and we did that show, mm. like we did that sync project with Grey's Anatomy. It was like you know two thousand. But you have the trophy. I've well, I didn't the get the trophy because you have to pay for it. It's like three hundred dollars, and it was like my name and a list of like fifty other people. So it wasn't oh. that special. Okay, I would you not know? pay for it. I got to All vote right. on some other Emmys. So that was cool. Thank you for running through them. I might be returning to an old project, though, again this season. That's Ooh. a little tease uh, that Chris Wesseling took back over for me, take, taking back the reins on the old QB index. Well, I mean, that? what a moment. What a moment to be on the Greg Rosenthal train. That's all I'll say. Of which I am a passenger. I'll tell you what. I, I'm like I'm in the first row. I paid for the upgraded seats. I'm in first class on that one. This is terrible. <laughs> That's what's happening in the news. <laughs> you promised a guest, and you know we 
really sprung this upon Cynthia uh, because we know she is in the analytics community and uh, here with us now joining us on the show is a man who is the lead NFL writer analyst for mm. pro football focus. I mean, that is, that's a job title right there. It's the great Sam Monson. Welcome to the around the NFL podcast, Sam. Thank you. And it's a critical distinction there that the, you know, the lead analyst slash writer, not math person, because my <laughs> level of math ended, you know, we did different educational system being over in Europe, but GCSE intermediate level, which is like just above being able to count numbers. So other people do the math stuff and then I just, you know, interpret it, make sense and write about it at PFF. Yeah, but like a lot of the guys, you know, there's a lot of guys over at PFF. You guys are now in Cincinnati. You have that like underscore PFF in your Twitter name, but none of them are the lead writer. <laughs> I mean, they're all just kind of like, hey, we're that's just fair. guys at PFF. We're not Sam. You know, that's it's a big it's a big flex going lead. Right. But a big part of that was just claiming it and hope nobody noticed or, or criticized me for it. Mm. So it's I'm not sure there's a, a ton of merit involved in that. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you shoot your shot and see what happens. So about a week ago, uh, PFF dropped their t- 50 best players in the NFL right now. Uh, Sam had the byline on that, and we're going to get into that and also some guys that were in notable cuts. It's a great piece of content to run in late June, and uh, I know the football world devours it, and that's good. But before we kind of get to that, I just wanted to talk with you, Sam, because I, I touched base with you briefly before the show, um, just to just to know how long you've been around in, uh, at PFF, and you said since 2008, which is going way back there. And, you know, PFF has a seat at the table um, in professional football. And I, I think um, that's very interesting because the NFL, like most businesses, uh, but especially in the insular world of pro football, they don't take kindly to outsiders. Uh, especially those who, quote, never played the game. <laughs> and I know Nick Hornsby uh, founded the site in the UK. You're an Irishman. Uh, right. So, it, I mean, that's another layer to this. And I'm just curious, um, as someone who's been with the company for well over a decade now, um, how long did it take in your in your mind uh, to get a foothold and to kind of feel like you had earned the industry respect? Because you certainly have, because as of a couple of years ago, uh, PFF has customized data that they send out to all 32 NFL teams, NCAA, FBS teams, CFL teams, uh, media all over the country, sports agencies. I mean, it, you are a power player as a company. Um, how did this take hold and did you sense a lot of pushback industry wise until that happened? Yeah, you're right. The, the NFL doesn't like people who didn't play the game or aren't real football people. And you can only imagine that that gets magnified massively when you're foreign as well, right? You know, you're British or you're Irish or you're European coming over and telling us what to do at football and never played the game. Everything's going against you. So, yeah, we, that was definitely a big thing that we had to battle against all the way. But critically, once you talk to people, you know, for any extended period of time, it becomes very obvious very quickly if you do or you don't know what you're talking about. So as soon as you're actually able to get in front of, of any NFL guys and walk them through what it is PFF was doing and what it is we could bring and, and help them with, that disappears and that dissolves. And that's that's the story in a nutshell of how Chris Collinsworth ended up buying the company that you know he found PFF, was really interested in the data, bought 
a kind of, kind of consumer conscript or subscription that we were selling at the time. And then, you know, thought, realized that this site was run by European British guy, Neil Hornsby and, you know, phoned him up, thought he'd been cheated out of his money, but 10 minutes later on the phone with Neil and, you know, he was convinced it's like, okay, this guy may be from a weird place in the, the backwaters of Britain, but he, he knows what he's talking about. He knows football as well as anybody in the NFL and that's where that starts. So the mm. first hurdle is the toughest. Once you can get in front of people, once you can get them to accept the premise of what it is you're bringing to the table, then it, it all falls into place. And really, you know, our first few years, we would go to the combine and we would try and set up meetings with all these teams. And just getting the meeting was the achievement. You know, once you got them in the room and you walked them through the process, nobody ever left that room going, well, this is ridiculous. Like, this is useless. We don't need any of this. This this doesn't make any sense. Every single meeting, you would be like, wow, this is amazing stuff. We could do all kinds of stuff. This is fantastic. Getting the meeting was the achievement. And then each year, it it built on the last year. And we, we went from a few meetings to, you know, half the league, to most of the league, to all the league. Um, and, and that was sort of how it went over those first few years. I think it also partly changed. I noticed when like PFF's evaluation started having real world implications, like guys like Andrew Whitworth, I'm trying to think of a few off the top of my head, just like guys that like PFF always had as one of the top people started making more money because I think in making more Pro Bowls, I think partly because PFF had them ranked so high. And so the media sort of started, you know, catching on to how good they were. And like people started getting paid through like some PFF grades. And then I was, I was like, okay, that is that is some real like economic impact they're making. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I think offensive line in particular is one area where we've really helped a lot of players along. Guys like Whitworth, you know, Evan Mathis was one of our first yep. players that we were kind of championing way before anybody else. Um, because offensive line, there aren't you don't get the stats right they, before we existed. All beat writers would ever tell you about the offensive lineman that your team had signed is you know started eight games last year. Well, what does that mean? I mean, were they good games? Were they bad games? What like I, that tells me nothing. Um, so now, you know, with PFF grades, even if you ignore the grade, we can give you some data on in terms of pressure and pressure rate and all those kinds of things. So you can start to quantify how good these offensive linemen are. And even if you don't agree with us, like even if you think we're crazy, it makes you go and watch that guy, right? So even if you think we were way off on Evan Mathis, people that would never have watched a snap of Evan Mathis were going and looking at this guy and determining for themselves whether he was good or not. And then those people watched this tape, came to the same conclusion, and suddenly Evan Mathis is the guy that actually does get coveted in the NFL, signs you know, a couple of decent deals with teams, having been you know, the, essentially the backup in a two-man rotation at guard with the Bengals back in the day. I would say the thing, those, those metrics, the ones that you've pioneered and created, I think, especially like from the college into NFL, kind of the bridging the gap between the two, nobody has those for college, especially, right? Like some teams have their own version of like, they do a free agent tracker and blah, blah, blah. But you know, it's, it's really standardizing and become like the gold standard of what a, what is like an accepted form of a pressure from college and then a pressure from the NFL. So that's, it's really like very, I think those even more than the grades are what's really been so instrumental. I think and just the- generally being able to put everything on a standardized universal system across mm-hmm. all four, like it's huge. It, you, you know, so many fans will t- will sort of come at you with this kind of stuff. It's like, well, I watched 
every snap of this guy, and I think you're wrong about where you have him ranked or where you have him rated. Like, well, okay, where does that rank compared to everybody else? Like, maybe the league level at that position or that spot is a lot better or worse than you think it is. You know, you have to have the context of everything else. Even if you disagree with the exact methodology and how it's all put together, the fact that it's all done the same, and, it, you know, we, we put all this time and man hours and double-blind systems across the board to make sure that it's as standardized as possible, like, that in and of itself has some value. Well, that's why the good teams actually can use it as like an arbitrage, right? If you're the league standard, then the team can find the undervalued stock for their system, right? So I think that, I think that that's like, if they have one system and they know every league, every team in the league is looking at, you know, this is the number or this is the, this is the whatever on our team. We believe that number can be X percent higher because we play, Mm -hmm. you know, with, we have this linebacker what you know something like that right so yeah. dan, dan like was it. cool with this discussion until you said arbitrage, <laughs> arbitrage. Then it really then it was like a little too much we lost just it. like you know just think it's like you get the better thing you get something for nothing a little extra it's actually arbitrage but you know right it's like when they give you the guacamole at chipotle and forget to charge you kind of like that right mm-hmm. by the way i like to imagine collinsworth just kind of rolling into the office in his pajamas with a cup of coffee at a random time uh, in Cincinnati, just to keep everyone sharp, like, or is he kind of like? And I know maybe it's all a remote type gig because everyone's all over the world here. But is he like a Lumberg type that will kind of just like head you off at the exit at five p.m. on a Friday in the middle of June and be like, "I need you to do some PFF TPS reports uh, this weekend." It's like, what kind of yeah, boss is he? I, I haven't seen the pajamas thing. You know that hasn't been. He'll he'll roll in there with uh, you know one of those kind of airport travel briefcases the things on wheels with the like six foot long <laughs> yeah. handle that he drags behind him so he'll be pulling one of those with the laptops and the ipads and all the screens that he's got with him um you know rocking the kind of the summer casual you know the khaki shorts and the polos <laughs> but yeah you can definitely catch some you know wayward flack if you just happen to be in the vicinity at the time when he wants a question answered you know because if you don't have the answer off the top of your head it's now your job to go find that answer so that can definitely happen. You got to keep right. And in, in all seriousness, I mean, Collinsworth, obviously, um, he has one of the top media jobs in football, Sunday Night Football. He watches, obviously, a ton of games. Is he? Is there ever a situation, um, without calling anyone out specifically, where Collinsworth is covering a game and then he goes and he checks his website and the grade doesn't match with what he saw and then he's upset about it? Do people catch heat <laughs> if they're not on the Collinsworth scale of what you guys do in terms of measuring play? It's it's never we've never been in trouble for it, but there's definitely times where we've had to explain that discrepancy. It's like, well, mm. explain to me why this guy's grade is whatever it is when I'm seeing this. And, you know, a lot of the times there's sort of, there's reasons, right? There are things that either you're, you're not paying attention to or there's like, again, sort of the idea of documenting it all is important because I think the brain functions as like a, a highlight reel system. And you remember the good, you remember the bad and you toss out everything in the middle but everything in the middle actually makes up like 80% of a guy's game, right? So if you're just throwing all that out as the same, it isn't. Like it's various gradations of either side of zero a little bit. Um, and that's where the the difference is. So a lot of the times stuff like that is you're remembering a few big plays and you're sort of not remembering the incremental little bit. And not like this whole show about Evan Mathis again, but... I think that's one of the reasons why we were so different on Evan Mathis to everybody else, because he didn't have a ton of those highlight reel blocks. He was 
playing at about the same time as Carl Nix for the Saints. And Carl Nix was like a walking highlight reel machine. That guy would just pancake defenders left, right, and center and bury them. Like his highlight reel would have been phenomenal for offensive linemen. But Carl Nix got beat more often than Evan Mathis. And Evan Mathis, his thing was he just never lost. Now, he didn't always bury the dude and make him five yards off line and, you know, open up this giant yawning chasm for the running back to go through. But he was consistently winning a little bit every Makes single sense. snap, you know, just moving his guy enough to give the running back a crease. And that's all you need. And if you do that 60 times a game, you're coming up with a really good grade. So in your PFF 50 here, and uh, I'll, I'm going to quote your blurb as we get into it now, because uh, it's a bit of a humble brag open uh, by Monson in the biggest <laughs> of all spots with a lot of metrics, uh, a lot of clicks. One of the benefits of watching and grading every player on every play of the NFL season is the unrivaled ability to compare players with the help of the largest football database on the planet. Whoa. Um, and with that said, <laughs> How do you not have um, Patrick Mahomes as the greatest player on the planet? Because you have Aaron Donald, number one, and Pat Mahomes, number two. And we're going to dig in. And I know Greg has some he wants to call out, and Cynthia, and I will. But just how does Aaron Donald, how is he the greatest player alive right now? So I think everybody pretty much, I saw ESPN had a guy that ranked Aaron Donald fourth among interior defenders. So almost everybody acknowledges that Aaron Donald is the best player at his position in the NFL. And Patrick Mahomes is the best player in his position in the NFL. So the question essentially is, well, how do you compare those two positions? They're completely different. One of the things that the PFF 50 does and most PFF lists is we get rid of position value, right? Because if position value was, was relevant here, the first 25 players would be quarterbacks. And frankly, that doesn't make for a great list. So position value is gone. You can be at top of this list if you're a guard, if you're a defensive tackle, if you're a quarterback, it's all the same. So now you're like, well, how do you kind of quantify relatively how much better than the rest of the league those guys are? And I think that's where Aaron Donald separates himself because in any given year, <clears throat> Patrick Mahomes might not be the best quarterback in the NFL. Aaron or Aaron Rodgers was the best quarterback in the NFL last year when MVP the year before that uh, Lamar Jackson was a unanimous MVP. So Mahomes might not be that guy any given year. And if he is the gap between him and the next guy is it's not huge. Aaron Donald, there's like, it's never a discussion. Aaron Donald is the best player in his position in the league. There's a huge gap between him and number two, and it hasn't been a discussion for what, like five, six years now. So the gap between Donald and anybody else at his position, I think, is just so huge that that has to be relevant in terms of just how good a guy is and whether he's the best player in the NFL or not. Like, I, I get throwing out positional value. You got to do that somewhat. But there is still something weird about seeing, like, five running backs in your top 40 <laughs> or, like, yeah. three in your top 30. And you have Derrick Henry, who's not really a huge weapon on passing downs, number 12. You know, you've got McCaffrey up there in the top 30. Chubb was somewhere in there. Camaro was in there. Dalvin Cook was 26. I mean, it has to give you the like hives to be ranking a bunch of running backs that high when all you do is talk about how fungible running backs are. I, I have a huge degree of sympathy for running backs generally because that is one of the most like attritional, abused, physically difficult, demanding, taxing positions in all of football. And it just so happens that all of the numbers say that it doesn't really matter who the guy is getting the carries. Like you can, you're a product of the environment so more than you are. you throw a bone on a, a late June list and you think that makes up for it? 
not even throw them a bone, just like acknowledge that <laughs> what they're doing, like when, when running backs complain about the running backs don't matter thing, they're right. Like it's, it, it's a brutal position. They're all incredibly talented. They're some of the most spectacular athletes playing the game. It just so happens that like the thing that will determine the most, whether or not you're having success is not you. It's not you versus your backup versus a guy you can get off the street. It's how good is your offensive line? It's what kind of formations are your, is your offense turning out in? Because that's going to dictate the box count, which is going to dictate how much success you have. Like, it's just this sad but aren't you irony. Saying Henry kind of Henry, if he's number 12 and the other guys that are in the top 30, it, it, putting them there to me has to be saying that they rise above that. Right? They rise above the, the other factors. Right. And I think for Henry in particular, we're now going on a couple of years of him statistically dramatically outperforming what should be possible given what we know from you know all the stuff that we just talked about so Derek Henry's not a bad offensive line in front of him but he certainly hasn't had an offensive line that has produced that should have produced what he's been producing and you know there there are not that many players where we can think of specific games where it hasn't been going great and then Derek Henry just took over and you know won the Titans the game so I think Derek Henry Right now, the day is saying that running backs generally don't matter. Derrick Henry might. Like Derrick Henry is bucking that data trend and has been for a long enough time now that it's it's at least notable. I think it has like something to do with supply and demand too over time. Not necessarily the one to one like your replacement versus you, but I think that if you look like this list is for next season. It's a projection of the top fifty players for this particular season. If you were to make this list out for five seasons and try to forecast it out in some way you might have running backs on there, but it probably wouldn't always be the same one or they probably wouldn't be in the same position. Right. So it's not necessarily that each, that that the running back, like each individual running back isn't helpful or in a specific season, very impactful, but it's that over time, like, look, like you had some pretty good running backs come out of this year's draft class. And and I guess Najee Harris is a first rounder, but like you got Javante Williams is getting a lot of talk about him and they got him pretty late. So it's at the end of the day, it's, it's less about like an individual being replaceable and more about kind of the trend of the position and all the other factors that go. That's kind of how I read it at least. Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of the running backs don't matter. The running backs are replaceable thing is that a lot of it is like, there's a lot of talented running backs. Once any running back in the NFL is an incredibly talented athlete and player. And part of their problem is that, the drop off between you know the top ten guys in the NFL and the guys that are strugg- you know struggling just to make rosters is not that big. Like it feels like it should be, but I think it's closer than a lot of other positions. And part of the reason they're that replaceable is because you can just go to the bargain bin and grab these guys that were incredible college running backs um, and, and are still fantastic athletes and, and playmakers, and it doesn't have that big a drop off. And so it's not necessarily a knock on the athlete the position it is part of that 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 supply there, there's an abundance of running backs that can all do a similar job i'm looking at the list and i was trying to figure out in my mind who's a guy in the top outside the top 10 who i could see kind of making that leap and you have uh miles garrett at 25 i i could see him being a guy because the data that you pulled from grading uh, every play, obviously, it's connected to um, every snap, and he was not the same guy after he got sick. I wonder where he's in this list if he was the same Miles Garrett 
leading in after week 10 as he was in the first 10 weeks. I could see him being the guy that ends up maybe cracking the top five even. Is there somebody that jumps out to you that uh, you could see making a leap based on what they gave you last year? Yeah, I think Garrett is definitely a good one. I'm actually going to be writing an article tomorrow about, look, if if Miles Garrett puts it together for a full 17-game schedule now, um, he's a defensive player of the year candidate. He's he's the one guy or one of a, a few guys that could rival Aaron Donald on, on that particular award. And it feels like that's happened already. But if you look at his career, we haven't really seen that yet. We had half a season of that, and then he – you know, brain Mason Rudolph with his own helmet and missed half the year. And then we got another half a season of it and then caught COVID. And you're right, wasn't quite the same guy. So we haven't yet had this full season of Garrett in full flow, the peak of his powers. But it feels like we're right on the edge of that, that like maybe 2021 is that year where we get the full, uh, unadulterated, full version of Miles Garrett. And I think that player is special and is a top 10 talent. Um, I think... You know, Nick Bosa is the guy. It, it seems crazy that we've we've still only seen rookie Nick Bosa. You know, we really haven't mm-hmm. seen what that was going to look like in year two. He lasted, what, 40-something snaps and then uh, got injured. Nick Bosa broke the rookie record for um, pressures in the season, which had stood until uh, since 2011. Like, that was Alden Smith's record that he broke. So that was a long-standing number. And he didn't just break it. He, like, blew past it by a ton of pressures. I think ended with 80 on the season and was still cooking in the Super Bowl. Like, the time way past the rookie wall that these guys are supposed to hit. Nick Bosa, I think, had 12 pressures on Patrick Mahomes in that Super Bowl and was one of the best players on the field. So, like, Nick Chase Young is the best edge rusher prospect we've ever seen come into the NFL. And he looks like he could be special. But Nick Bosa was like right there with him. I mean, his college production mm-hmm. is right there with Chase Young's. He was a tremendously special talent, and rookie Nick Bosa was phenomenal. So I could easily see him taking a step this year and, and like cementing himself as one of the best uh, players and edge rushers in the NFL. Did you get a lot of um, grief for having Brady seventh? Actually, no. I there wasn't an awful lot of pushback on on Brady. I think people okay. were more people were drawn to other either omissions or you know sins <laughs> against football. Yeah, I mean he, yeah, it yeah. is it is ridiculous. He's the number two quarterback <laughs> on this list. He's forty three years old. Yeah, Dan was talking about hashtag gradual decline. Literally like six seasons ago now. This is the whatever running bit was that I bring this up. at the end of his Patriots run. I stand by it. <laughs> I the get it. But you, changed around him. Like, you said that before one of his, no. his like last MVP seasons. Greg, that's so not necessary. If you keep saying it, eventually you'll be right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's what we thought. And and it is crazy, though, that credibly, I almost think his Bucks season got a little underrated because he had a couple interceptions, you know, in one of the playoff games. And so people want to bring, uh, you know, in the championship and want to bring that up. It, whereas, no, he really was one of the top two or three quarterbacks for the last nine or ten games. He didn't start the season that way, but the the way he finished, he was a top three quarterback at age forty three, which is just so blowing past the um, you know like level of anything we would even have considered was possible for a forty or forty one year old. Well, not just that, but you have to put it in the context of a quarterback in a Bruce Arian system, right? The, fr- the first year of quarterbacks in a Bruce Arian system is almost always an absolute train wreck of turnovers, mm-hmm. right? Andrew Luck, Jameis Winston, Carson Palmer, those three guys each 40 turnover the plays in a season their first year with Bruce Arian. That isn't like it's a monster number. I think those are all the highest numbers we've ever seen from a quarterback over a season. 
Brady. No, had... Jeff, hold that thought one second, just because I'm curious. Who had the most turnover worthy plays since 2008? Is it Winston in the 30 30 year? Uh, I think that, well, that was one of his four. That was the, one of those 40 numbers. I think 40 is the highest we've seen over a season. And all three mm. of them have been the first year in a Bruce Arian system. Wow. But Tom Brady in his first year in a Bruce Arian system, absent of any preseason, had 12. So like a completely different scale. It's just wow. not what happens. And it's not like, but was it you Brady know, in a Bruce Arian system or was it Bruce Arians in a Brady system? Uh, well, I think they met in the middle, right? But this was definitely a more aggressive offense <laughs> than Tom Brady has been in for a lot of years. Like his sure. average depth of target was, you know, pretty far downfield compared to what Brady normally works with eight, eight point nine or sorry. Yeah. Uh, where was Tom Brady? 9.6. So that's that's getting up there. You saw it. You saw it. He would, they would go target. entire halves of... Sure, but you got better. You had better receivers than he's had in a long time in yeah. New England that ran deeper routes, too. So I'm just saying, like, I don't know if you tell... I don't know how much, you, like, telling Tom Brady what to do anyone does. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, sure, you want to do that? Great. No, Go ahead. when he's getting right. the house for five weeks, like in the family's leaving, then you're seeing who's wearing the pants. Even in that powerful household, you're seeing. But it. that, that essentially was the highest average at the target of anybody in the NFL that actually played most of the season. Like the only guys ahead of him last year, are Joe Flacco, Jalen Hurts. And then Where did Drew Joe Locke. Flacco play again? Yeah, not, you know, not great. Um, and then Drew Locke, who was a 10th of a yard, uh, higher. Yeah. So Brady right, basically had of hands. It's, it's just okay. It's just a no, little. I don't like. Little, I don't bring. I don't talk about the 2020 Jets. Yeah, that they the Flacco know. Jets. <laughs> like if I ever want to really annoy Dan, just right. bring, up, bring up my Flacco versus Darnold uh, Jets. Hey, listen. If Flacco was, if uh, Darnold was still in the building, and Flacco for that matter, it would bother me more. But we've moved <laughs> forward. Finally, Sam. Before we go, yes, it is. I did the Lamar Jackson cough move because I would say the biggest thing that got the the football cognoscenti buzzing was Lamar Jackson missing the top 50 a year after he was, yes, the unanimous MVP. Now, the one thing that surprises me the most, because you wrote a nice little like a bonus piece that people should check out over at PFF.com on players that missed the cut that are, you know, top players. And you kind of ended your write up on Jackson saying that, you know, he was behind these six other quarterbacks and spinning forward to 2021. You don't think that was necessarily an off year in 2020 he might just be in that 7 to 12 range potentially as opposed to one of the true greats of the league which i know doesn't sit well with a lot of people uh, so soon after that incredible 2019 yeah but i, I think the re- like the the step back that he took last year i think is important because the whole quarterback landscape is kind of volatile you know you're going to look at Aaron Rodgers right Rodgers I don't I don't know if he made the list last year. If he was, it certainly was nowhere near where he was this year. And the Green Bay Packers drafted his replacement. And it wasn't crazy. Like, everyone was sort of going, well, yeah, Rodgers has declined for a while now. And hasn't been the same guy. But maybe drafting his replacement will spur this Aaron Rodgers revenge tour. And that's exactly what happened. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. But before that, you were looking at this guy who was still really, really good but was, you know, ranking fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in the NFL, somewhere like that. I think everybody except Mahomes is in that bracket now, right? You're looking at these guys and you're saying, if he ranked number two or number eight in the NFL next year, it wouldn't surprise you. And I think you can throw, like, Deshaun Watson, assuming he plays, Tom Brady, Josh Allen, you know, Russell Wilson. There's a whole bunch of those guys, I think, that fit into that category. 
and Lamar Jackson is one of them. I, I think if he has an incredible year and the Ravens have figured out the answers to why the passing game fell off and the guys like Bateman, Rashad Bateman, they're number one. Um, it's a huge impact there. It wouldn't shock anybody. Um, but equally, if they've just figured out a little bit and Lamar Jackson is still an incredible athlete, is still one of the most devastating ball carriers in the NFL, but it's not the most <laughs> complete, polished passer in the NFL, and that's going to be the cap of how good that offense can be. Would that shock anybody? And if he ranks, you know, behind Dak Prescott and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, you don't have to, you know, come up with that many names for him to rank behind before he doesn't make a list of the best 50 players in the NFL. Now, if it's the best 50 athletes in the NFL, Lamar is what, like one, two, three? He's somewhere in the top couple. Um, but in terms of just actual player, he needs to be a better passer than he was last year. And we've seen that from him. But the, the projecting it forward is how likely is it that that is going to happen again in 2021? Now, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it, there's a reasonable case to be made. I, the one point I would also make, though, is that my hands were tied by our quarterback rankings, which came out first, which makes the whole thing Bruce, Ar- uh, Bruce Gradkowski's fault and not mine. So <laughs> that's the important thing. I guess, like, um, yeah, I guess when people come at you and you're like, what? Bryce Callahan is 36. Hey, I John love Johnson Bryce Callahan. Hey, John Johnson I love is Bryce 40 Callahan and Lamar there. Jackson's not on this list. Then, oh, you can just go bra- blame old Bruce and accounting. Yeah, Bruce's fault. <laughs> I like Bryce Callahan. I was actually going to get, make sure and get that in there that I love that he, 30, made, 36, that he made the list. Though, I mean, so it's well, top 50. There's a lot of players in the league. There's like 1,300 players in the league. Did, I just he even, like when, did he even play that much last year? Yes. It, it hurts Greg that he was out of the top 50. You should know that, Sam. So uh, <laughs> before we go, um, uh, Sam, and thank you for your time. Cynthia has something she wants to get off her chest. Um, yeah. You have a lovely uh, lilting Irish brogue, and mm-hmm. um, some people want to hear more of it, Cynthia. I do. So we both do videos, these voiceover things, and I, sometimes it's brutal. I'm, I, I, like I hold my iPhone. It's, it's not the best sometimes i'll admit but i want your accent in it sometimes like it dulls your accent i don't know if it's the music they put but you need to play up that accent we need to bring in more women there's so many women that watch football you know how much they'd like it better to watch those videos if you got ooh, there's like this i'm gonna believe everything that man says it's wonderful it just sounds very i'm telling you play (laughs) that up the real problem is that living here is eradicating my accent it's it's not voluntary it's 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 just a like I I pick up and drop off accents depending on where I live. I've had like half a dozen ridiculous ones in my life, and moving <laughs> over here is losing the Irish one. I can't stop it. Somebody PFF we did this series of podcasts a couple of years ago that were you know, history of PFF ones that talked to Neil Hornsby and got like the the origin story out of PFF. And it's a different Sam on it. It's an Irish Sam that it doesn't exist anymore. The accent is dead, and it's it's. I'm now somewhere over the mid-Atlantic, coming <laughs> even further over to the U.S. It's starting to worry me. That's the downside I mean, of living in Cincinnati. Like, eventually, everyone starts sounding like the Wesleyan brothers. That's, that's, <laughs> what, that's what you're starting to sound like. Too. I'm a Midwesterner. I'm a Midwesterner. I used to say pop. It was a thing. But no, get, bring the Irish back. I'm going to give you some, like, mm. tapes to listen to before you do it. Because I'm like, well, I want his accent back. I think, give, give me the accent. I like the. I did like the way you put it, though, Sam. Because sometimes I feel like that's what our podcast is. is just, like, floats somewhere over the mid-Atlantic. <laughs> uh, existing partly in this world, partly in another world. So you are a natural fit uh, for our show. And we thank you so much for uh, coming on, buddy. And check out Sam's work. 
uh, on PFF. Check him out uh, on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. And uh, keep up the good work, my friend. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. There he goes. You know, I have... I know what he's talking about, too, because I um, grew up in the suburbs outside New York City. My father has a very... Um, and people know from this podcast, he has a real strong Bronx accent. Um, and my mother is from Queens and all my family uh, that I grew up around, grew up in the cities. And even if you grew up in the suburbs, it's a very strong uh, New York accent. And I do find that it has maybe gotten toned down from 11 or 12 years in California. And then I'm, I'm back here and I'm throwing bags and I'm on my seventh Tito's at 1 a.m. down here at the Jersey Shore. All of a sudden, you know, I start to hit talk a little bit or something. <laughs> I gave Wes a lot of humor when I was talking about a an ex-girlfriend in my life who had moved on. And I said, Kara got married. That really gave him a, a he got a kick out of that. And he said, what did you just say? I said, Kara got married. Who? Kara. Apparently there's something. I'm glad mine's gone. Mom, can we go to the cottage? I need to pop. Like Mich- Midwestern accents are awful. So I'm glad mine's smoothed out i mean boston took it away i haven't lived in michigan i don't know what's going on with greg because like greg grew up in new england and that has famously um and then maybe this sounds negative but a harsh accent western mass is like its own little farmland it's flat when i lived in new orleans though i did find myself talking slower it's not like i put on an accent but if you just take southern accent if you just slow down how fast you talk by 50 percent then that was that was all the uh scissor you were drinking down there at a styrofoam (laughs) cup Scissor plus oh, like two weeks ago. I Googled it. <laughs> um, that was good. Sam's really good. That was that was a good talk. Uh, and uh, if you haven't checked out that top 50, it's great, great mm-hmm. summertime reading. If, even if you don't agree with the PFF stuff, and that was um, Wes is coming up a lot in today's show, and that's always a good thing. Wes used to be very vocal about certain disagreements he had with um, how they went about their grading system, uh, but. It, it's just I think the league is more fun when you have these grades, especially, as he said, for like uh, interior linemen and really anybody on defense. Honestly, I mean, the offense there, you have those counting stats that make it easier for the quarterbacks, running backs and the wide receivers and tight ends. But I feel like that's where it's helped me as like a football fan the most when you, you can kind of know more about a, somebody in the secondary or someone in the front seven. And obviously the offensive line, which to me is like the most guarded mystery in all of professional sports like how is it actually played who's good who's not um so much technical knowledge is necessary so even if people don't always agree with them it's good to see uh, that they have this dedicated team putting in the work and collinsworth as kind of the face of it gives them a lot of uh, gravitas yeah, i'm having a flashback to an episode where we where we did have someone from PFF on, I'm not sure who it was like four years ago. And Wes just like wanted to grill him about like Ben Hartsock being their number <laughs> yes, one. I remember that. It almost got a little awkward. It was probably like 2014, 2015. Was a long yeah, I remember ago. that. I, I have vague memories of that. Um, all right. Good stuff. Cynthia, you've said it all. I mean, all of it. And I'm glad I got it off my chest about the supercomputer. I think hardware is important, not just software. And it, it, it's, it's, it's important to have the big piece of machinery. And even if there's a hollow inside, almost like a TV prop, if you just had that and then you had that in the background when you did your TV hits and it's lit in a certain way that's imposing, I'm telling you, your career's on fire, Cynthia, right now. But you'd be the biggest name in sports media Great. if you just have a prop supercomputer 
uh, in the background in 2021. I'll call it the Hanzoos 5000. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what's actually like really interesting. Um, so I wear I, I don't need glasses, but I wear them for the UV filter for my because I look at a screen for a really long time. And not even kidding, like starting off any of my career, people were like, can you wear your glasses more? It makes you look smarter. <laughs> mm. well, yeah. I don't even need them. So a lot, of people, a lot of people do that move, though. <laughs> Sometimes I mean, Greg, Greg shows up with the glasses filters. on and it's I like, love yeah, we glasses. know what he's doing. I, I would, know I would wear them even more if uh, it wasn't so sunny outside all the time. <laughs> Feels good. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Cynthia. Uh, enjoy Montana uh, and, the, and the lake, which, uh, as I understand, is... Very large. I believe big. that was the data point you had on it. Big lake, big sky. All the things are big here in Montana. Enjoy it. I will enjoy my final day here on the shore with the family. Greg, I will. Um, I won't see you in LA, but we'll be back in the same city uh, very soon, and that that will feel close. That, I feel like that we, will be very we can nice. Get together, you know. We we should have an around the NFL uh, preseason before the season summit when Mark is well, back and Ricky. It, we can coordinate it all. The well, audience should know. Yeah, well, well the audience um, can also know that. You know, the, it's only your second appearance, Cynthia. I don't know if you're making this. this before the show started, Cynthia mentioned that she had gotten together with someone that works in the league, and that person went out of their way to say that they were friends with Greg. And then uh, Cynthia was like, oh, yeah, he, he said he's friends with you. And then Greg, like, went out of his way when I asked, oh, you guys, like, personal yeah. friends? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm closer to him than I am to you That's and Mark. That's not what I and said. I was like, why was – that is such a Greg answer. So unnecessary to put it that way. To rank things, yes. No, that's not what I meant. I he was saying, do you do you ever like talk on a personal basis? I was just saying, like, yes, probably probably so more. Just like, you know, on the I I don't talk with many people on the phone in my life. Very few. I would say that's one. Oh, you guys just talk on the phone, but you you sometimes you call on the phone occasionally. Occasionally, wow, that's like really old. Pretty hardcore. Pretty occasional, but still, even any because you got a tight circle. You you've said you. It's not like you have a. Like you, you're you're a very you're a gregarious guy, and if you're in the right mood, but you don't have like a a huge friendship group. I would no. say it's pretty tight. No. No, and may, Mark and I hope to be in it one day. I guess Stop. that's all I could say. Maybe me if there's room. Answer. What's wrong with me? How many Love regrets? You, We've been through a lot, Greg. You know that we have. We're, we're closer than you know some rando that's in the industry. That I mean, we just just the time. Just think about the time we've spent on air together, like on this right. podcast, for real. Right. I mean, I never feel more that alive doesn't, than when we're doing that this doesn't podcast. count. You can't. That does count. You can't though. be like, "Hey, we've done a lot of shows together, man." <laughs> like we've traveled I mean, on, like the some, world. On some level, it does count though. Because hey, we've both like, been getting paid by a company at the same time a lot. <laughs> It's like some of the most meaningful, um, well, certainly the most meaningful work experiences we, I think we've both By the way, had. Cynthia has her head down texting. Yeah, she's right done. Now. She's totally she's out. I, I was, I, I was. It you is family me. business. You're right. Okay. Well, no, I, right. I this just is, got, this is an unnecessarily random German website keeps tweeting at me and I don't know what they're saying. It's, oh. I gotta like learn German, yeah. I guess. I gotta All right. That's it. Thank you, Cynthia. We love you. Stan Hans is signing off for the old boss, Ricky Hollywood and Sam Monson the lilting Irish brog until I don't know eat the call next week Joe Mantanga <laughs> no Joe Montagna was not in the rat pack what are you talking about <laughs> wait isn't that oh the film <laughs> oh my god okay. that's the guy who's married to um 
the lady. I, I really. Who's the I final member of the Rat Pack? Joe okay. Montanga. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's as good as I would know. Frank Sinatra, <laughs> Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, and right. Joey Bishop. Joey, Joey Bishop was sent packing um, because he fell out with Sinatra. Rat Which pack. You can't do. Oh, <laughs> you sent rat packing. 